0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Fort St. Lucie. Let's join lead pastor Mike Wiggins for the message, Abundant Grace. All right, well, in his famous book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis breaks up that book into four smaller books. I'm just wondering, how many of you guys have read Uh, Mere Christianity or Parts of Mere Christianity before. It's an awesome, awesome read. Okay, and so in book one, he talks about um, the title of book one is Right and Wrong is a Clue to the Meaning of the Universe. In book two of Mere Christianity, that book is entitled What Christians Believe. Book three is entitled Christian Behavior, and then book four is is entitled Beyond Personality, First Steps, in the doctrine of the Trinity, okay? And so in the fourth book, C.S. Lewis decided uh, to go deep into the subject of theology. He began to speak about theology, even though many of, his, um, many of his colleagues warned him not to talk about theology. And I love C.S. Lewis's response. I just read this. I'm reading through the book again and so I'm getting towards the end. I love his response to his colleagues that told him, don't talk to people about theology. Check it out. Everyone has warned me not to tell you what I'm gonna tell you in this last book. They all say that the ordinary reader does not want theology. Give him practical religion. I have rejected their advice. I do not think the ordinary reader is such a fool. You are not children. Why should you be treated like children? Ladies and gentlemen, in our passage today, Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21, the Apostle Paul is going to go deep into the subject of theology. He's going to point to the fall of man. He's going to point to our inherited sin nature. He's going to talk about the universal reign of death and sin through Adam, he's going to talk about the universal reign of life and grace through Jesus Christ. Our passage today, Romans 5, 12-21, 20, though difficult, it's truly a wellspring of spiritual life. But there's a problem. And the problem is that many pastors today, instead of diving deep into passages like the one before us today, they avoid biblical passages like Romans 5, 12-21. They opt rather for shallow messages. Shallow messages that are usually about how to be happier in this life or how to be more prosperous in this life. Many pastors today, like C.S. Lewis's colleagues, Believe that the ordinary person doesn't want theology. The ordinary person would rather have practical religion. My response to pastors who replace biblical teaching with superficial messages is this we should stop treating God's people like we're all a bunch of children. My response to pastors who have replaced biblical teaching with superficial messages is to remind them of their pastoral call. Jesus told Peter in John chapter 21. He didn't tell him, Peter, I want you to go throughout the world, and I want you to tell everybody, you know, uh, five easy steps on how to win at life. It's not what he said to Peter. He said to Peter in John chapter 21, Peter, I want you to feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Now, what was he talking about? He wasn't saying, Peter, every time the church gathers for um, uh, together for church, I want you to lay out a spread of bagels and lox and pomegranate juice and form a line and feed everybody physically. It's not what he's saying. When he said, I want you to feed my sheep, What he was saying is, I want you to provide a spiritual meal, a spiritual meal from my word. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know if you know this, but pastors are called to move God's people from the milk of the word to the meat of the word. And here's why. Because as kids grow up, they're supposed to, at some point, ditch the bottle. You know what I'm saying? When my daughter was six months old, I expected her to drink from a bottle. But there would be a problem if she was still drinking from the bottle when she was six years old. And there'd be a big problem if she's still living with us when she's 26 and I walk into her bedroom and she's standing in a crib with an empty bottle saying, more. There'd be a a big problem. And here's the thing. Some of us have been saved for decades. And we don't want biblical teaching. We don't want theology. No, we want some type of superficial message to make us feel good, to tell us how we can be happier in life or more prosperous in this life. There's a problem in the church today. The author of Hebrews said to his audience, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not spiritual food or solid food. He says, for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. God's saying, hey, Christian, I want you to grow up. Christian, I want you to move from the milk of the word to the meat of the word. I want you to do this not so you can, you know, become this this, uh, super spiritual person. No, I want you to, uh, to do this so that you can serve me and serve other people and help other people grow. And so at the risk of alienating people who would rather have shallow messages on practical religion... We are going to dive into theology today. Today, we're going to feed the flock of God the Word of God. Now, before we read uh, chapter 5, verse 12, I've got to remind you of one of the very first stories in the Bible the story of the fall of man. Okay, and so in the beginning, when, when God created the heavens and the earth, you remember he created Adam, later on, he created Eve. Uh, from the side of Adam, and he placed the first couple in this beautiful garden. He placed them in paradise, and he gave them everything they could ever want. And so Adam and Eve had it made. Not only was their environment perfect, but they were perfect. If somehow we could go back in time and we could look at Adam and Eve before the fall, I think we'd be astonished. What we would see, what we would see is God's handiwork. What we would see are, 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 are two people who are, you know, intelligent and strong and fit and winsome and, and deeply spiritual, okay? So all Adam and Eve had to do in the garden, you ever think about before the fall, what life was like? All they had to do was, you know, enjoy their relationship as husband and wife, uh, enjoy their fellowship with God, Um Um, not only that, but uh, enjoy their dominion over the animals and enjoy tending the garden. Now, some of you may think, all right, well, tending the garden, that's work. I thought work came after the fall. No, did you know that work came before the fall? Some of you think when you're driving to work and you hate your job, man, why did Adam have to sin? And now work's the result of the fall. Now I got to endure this drudgery. No, work came before the fall. But it wasn't drudgery. It was pure joy. Back in paradise, back in the Garden of Eden, man, the soil was so fertile. It regularly yielded these plentiful crops. The trees, right, were so perfect. They regularly yielded this delicious fruit. And so Adam and Eve, man, they had it made. They had everything they could ever want in this perfect environment. Now, God had planted two significant trees in the Garden of Eden. He planted the, the tree of life, and he planted the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said to Adam this right here He said, Of every tree of the garden, you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you, what's the next few words? shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it you shall what's the last two words now we all know what happened right unless you're brand new to the bible adam and eve hundreds of trees no doubt to choose from to enjoy had to pick the one god said don't eat from it and they ate and i'm going to come back to that in just a moment but but I know as some people say. I listen to this pastor's program. It's a call-in program where they ask all these questions. And uh, one of the questions that I've heard before is, why in the world did God put the tree of knowledge in the Garden of Eden? If God didn't put the tree of knowledge in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve would never have sinned, and then everything would have been great. No, ladies and gentlemen, everything would not have been great. If God had not put the tree of knowledge in the Garden of Eden, then Adam and Eve would not have had a choice. You say, what kind of choice? A choice to either trust God or not. Right? God said, hey, Adam, don't eat from this tree. All the other trees, great. Don't eat from this one. Okay? And so... Adam had a decision to make. Is he gonna trust that God knows what he's doing? Is he gonna trust God's character, that God's a good God and he's not trying to hold something back from him? Is he gonna trust and obey and love the Lord? Is he gonna make that choice or not? Now, God could have programmed Adam and Eve to love and obey him. He could have wound up Adam and wound up Eve and They could have went throughout the garden. We will not eat of the tree of knowledge. We will not eat of the tree of knowledge. But God didn't do that. Why? Because he wanted to give us the gift. What's the gift? The gift of free will. This will help us understand the fall of man and why we're in the predicament that we're in. Now, one more quote from C.S. Lewis speaking on free will. Free will, though it makes evil possible... Is also the only thing that makes possible any love or goodness or joy worth having. A world of automata, of creatures that work like machines, would hardly be worth creating. The happiness which God designs for his higher creatures is the happiness of being, just read the underlined words, please. Freely, That's what God's after right there. Freely involuntarily united to him. Did you guys know, just, just pause that for a second, did you guys know that every single one of you had a choice this morning to hit your alarm and turn over and go to sleep or to get up and honor the Lord and come and trust and worship and praise God and come to this place? You had a choice. God likes it when we choose to honor him. And so, the happiness of being freely, voluntarily united to Him and to each other in an ecstasy of love and delight, compared with which the most rapturous love between a man and a woman on this earth is mere milk and water. Okay, so we're all given this choice, right? We can either trust Jesus or not. We can either love Jesus or not. We can either obey and follow Jesus or not. Now, I understand. I understand all the theological arguments. I understand that Jesus said, unless the Father draws you, you cannot come to me. But, but here's the thing. When the Holy Spirit is drawing a man or a woman, and that man or a woman, upon hearing the gospel, freely chooses the Son of God as their Savior, that brings much joy to the Father, So much more joy than some robot that was programmed to receive him. And then when that person chooses to live their entire life as a lifelong follower of Jesus Christ, did you know that that choice brings so much joy to the Father? So much more joy than somebody who's programmed to be a lifelong follower of Jesus Christ. We have a choice. We have free will. And God loves it when we choose him on our own accord. The downside of free will is that the man, um, man often makes the wrong choice. That's exactly what Adam and Eve did. Eve had a discussion with a serpent. Apparently, the Bible said that he was there. I don't know if you know that. So apparently, Adam stood by and watched the whole discussion take place And it all went downhill from there. Eve was deceived and she ate of the forbidden fruit. Adam deliberately disobeyed the Lord. He ate the forbidden fruit as well. Now, what did God say to them? What did He say would happen to them if they ate of the forbidden fruit, if they ate of the tree of knowledge? He said, You're going to die. Do you know what the slithering serpent said to Eve? And apparently Adam, as he was standing by watching this conversation, he said this, You shall not surely die. Okay, so what happened when they ate the forbidden fruit? They died. Right? What does that tell you? It tells you that God tells the truth and Satan lies. How do you know when Satan's lying? His lips are moving, right? And by the way, the enemy, and I don't want to freak anybody out today, and I don't believe I've ever had an encounter with Satan. I think there's much bigger fish to fry in the world, but there are uh, demonic hordes, millions of demons across the world. There is a network of, of, the only way that John would be able to say the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one is if this were true. And the Bible teaches that there's demons. And demons, for whatever reason, God has given them the ability to suggest thoughts into our minds. I've talked to people and they say, Pastor Mike, I've had the most horrendous, wicked thoughts flying through my mind. And you know what I say to them? Well, did you want that thought to be there? No. And I say, well, don't take any ownership of it. It's not from you. It's from the enemy. That's why we have to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. That's why the Lord wants us to choose to honor him, not just with our words and with our actions, but also with our thoughts and our desires. And so when you think about this, um, Adam and Eve died. You say, they didn't fall over dead. No. Here's what happened. When they ate the forbidden fruit, the forbidden fruit they immediately died spiritually. They immediately became dead within, uh, in their trespasses and sins And then they began to die physically. When they ate the forbidden fruit, right? Immediately they were separated, cut off from God. And then they began to age. They began to grow old. And Eve walked up to Adam and, honey, what's that? And she plucked the gray hair. Before they were perfect, now they're dying. They fell. And not only did Adam and Eve fall, the whole creation fell. Right? Think about this. The ground became cursed. And so now man's got to work by the sweat of his brow. Childbearing became extraordinarily painful. Marriage now became a battle of the wills as the husband and the wife are trying to dominate one another. By the way, uh, this is not in the notes, but let me just say that the number two way that God will sanctify you is through marriage. The number one way God will sanctify you is through his word. The number two way is by putting you with a man or a woman who has their own free will and their own choices. And ladies and gentlemen, the only way that your marriage is going to work is if you learn to die to yourself and serve that partner. That's the only way. That's the only way. That your marriage will ever work. And so, man, everything fell. Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden, everything changed. And now that you've been reminded of the story, now we're gonna dive into some theology. Now we're gonna dive in to God's word in verse 12. Alright, so therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men. Because all have sinned. Okay, so your next point is that everyone has inherited a sin nature from Adam. Therefore, we are all subject to death. All right, so when Adam ate the forbidden fruit, something devastating happened within him, in his heart, okay? Suddenly... He didn't have this before, but now all of a sudden he's got this inclination to sin, his propensity to sin. He has actually a desire to sin. Adam has the sin nature. And so when he had sex with his wife, Eve, she got pregnant. Here's what happened. Adam passed his sin nature on to their kids. Right? Cain, Abel, later on Seth. Another, call, another uh, question that I always hear on this pastor's program that I listen to is, where did Cain get his wife, right? Listen, Adam lived, to 930, Adam lived for 930 years. We don't know how long Eve lived, but we're assuming she lived as much or longer um, than him. And so, man, that's a long time to have a lot of babies. And so who did Cain marry? Well, his cousin or his distant cousin, right? Back then, it wasn't forbidden. The gene pool was, was barely polluted. Later on, in 1500 BC, with a written law of God, then, okay, no more, God says it, no more kissing cousins, okay? That's, we're done with that. I'm getting way off my notes here, but let me just stick with the um, <laughs> script here, all right? And so the sin nature was passed on to Adam and Eve's kids, and their kids passed it on to their kids, and their kids to their kids, eventually polluting the entire human race. Did you know that you, when you were conceived in your mama's womb, that you received Adam's sin nature? Yes, you did. Psalm 51.5, David said, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin, my mother conceived me. You and I have a sin nature. Now, some of you guys think this is not fair. Some of you are thinking, I don't know if I believe all this everybody's got a sin nature thing. I was taught... You know, in my university, uh, that you know, everybody's basically good. I don't know if I really believe that I have a sin nature. I don't believe that everybody has a sin nature. And I would just simply say, Really? <laughs> <laughs> have you spent any time at all with any little kids lately? <laughs> what happens when one three year old takes a toy from another three year old? Right? It's all of a sudden, it's like, mine, 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 mommy, mom, mine, mine. It's an explosion. Now, what does that tell us? What that tells us is that we don't have to teach our children to sin. They're born sinners, right? A doting mom lifts up her kid, her little three-year-old girl, and, oh, you're such a gem. You're so precious. You're so perfect. Not really. (laughs) not really. Just wait till the next time that little gem doesn't get his or her way. And then you'll be reminded again that that little gem is not perfect as they're throwing a temper tantrum. By the way, don't you think God is so wise making sure that our little children have little bodies? Can you imagine a three-year-old who's six foot five, 250 pounds having a temper tantrum? right? Mom, I want my toy now, right? (laughs) Mom's like dangling. Ah! Yes, that's what would happen, but so God in his infinite wisdom made sure that our kids had these little bodies so that we can lovingly just restrain them, not hurt them, (laughs) just restrain them. Of course we all have sin natures. Of course man is not basically good, That's just another lie from the enemy being propagated throughout our land through our secular universities. We need more Christian education. We need more Christian schools. We need more Christian colleges. We need more seminaries. We need more people being raised up with a biblical worldview so that we understand the truth and stop buying into all these lies. It's the truth. Of course we have a sin nature. And so, look at verse 12 again. Therefore, just as through one man, Adam. Okay, now this is going to be hard for some of you. and Okay, I'm just teaching the word here. Just as through one man, Adam, sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men. Okay, check this out. Because all sinned. Now I used to think, well, yeah you know i've sinned all throughout my life and that's why i'm going to die someday but then i found out in the original language because all sinned is in the aorist tense say what's that 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 verb because all sinned speaking of a past action So it's not specifically saying because of all of your sins and my sins, that's why we're all going to die. There's some truth to that. But specifically in this verse, it's because I know this is going to be hard for some of you, but we sinned in Adam. We were in his loins. He was our representative. When he sinned, we sinned in him. And thus the wages of sin is what? And so death spread across to all people. And somebody says, well, that's not fair. God should have put me in the garden. Give me a shot. Oh, you hear how arrogant that is? So you think that you could choose better than God's choice. No, the thing is, if you and I were in the garden, we would have done the exact same thing. And so Adam sinned. We sinned in Adam. The wages of sin is death. Death spread to the entire human race. If you don't believe this, go visit a cemetery. Headstone after headstone after headstone after headstone. Some of these cemeteries is like blocks and blocks of headstone. All of them are are shouting the fact that in Adam all die. Adam is the father of universal sin and universal death. But somebody might say, and Paul definitely had people in his time that were asking this question. Okay, so follow this. What about the millions of people... Who lived between Adam and Moses? In other words, right, thousands of years of human history from creation to 1500 BC when Moses received the explicit, specific written word of God. Okay, so what about the people who lived during those thousands of years? Did they still die even though they didn't have the written law of God? So Paul says in response to that in verse 13, for until the law sin was in the world okay now, now follow this another difficult thing to interpret okay so he says but sin is not imputed when there is no law okay so before you take that one verse out of context and start teaching all kind of huh, false doctrine what you got to understand you got to keep it in this context Right, the context of chapter 5, the context of Romans, the context of the entire Bible. Okay, so look again, verse 13. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed. The idea there is it's not imputed in a specific or an explicit way when there is no explicit or specific law. He says in verse 14, nevertheless, death reigned from who to who? From creation to 1500 BC, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam. Right? Adam had an explicit command from God don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay? And so, Adam, end of verse 14, who is a type of him who was to come. All right, you got to follow here. I know it's kind of difficult, but it's true that from the creation of the world, Adam, all the way to Moses, the giving of the written law, there were no specific explicit written commandments from God, but the people, don't don't misunderstand, they were still born with a sin nature from Adam. And by the way, they also chose to sin. Someone says, well, that means that from Adam to Moses, they all got off, scot-free, because sin's not imputed. That's a wrong translation of that verse. Here's how how I will prove it. You remember the flood? The flood happened between Adam and Moses. Noah was stuck between Adam and Moses. And what was the time of the flood like? I'll just quote it to you from Genesis 6-5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And so, of course, there, were, there was sin between Adam and Moses. And, of course, um, the, God judged them for their sin. What Paul is saying is that there's a difference between Adam's sin and then all those millions of people that lived between Adam and Moses. Here's why. Again, Adam disobeyed an explicit, specific commandment of God. Don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Adam said, I'm going to eat it anyway. He disobeyed an explicit command. The people from Adam all the way to Moses, they weren't guilty of of, um, violating specific explicit commandments there weren't any until the giving of the law of Moses 1500 BC but they still had a sin nature from Adam therefore they still chose to sin if you remember in Romans chapter 1 verse 20 you remember the people they said no to the witness of creation you guys remember this no to the witness of their conscience. No to creation without. No to conscience within. And so Romans chapter 1 verse 20, Paul says they are without excuse. He's not contradicting himself here. Okay, now look at the end of verse 14. He says, comparing Adam to Christ, he says, Adam, who is a, what's the word there? Type. Type of him Christ who was to come. All right, so why is Adam a type of Christ? Here's why. Because just like Adam's, right, sinful action affected billions of people, so Christ's righteous act action of death burial resurrection that also affected billions of people. And so for the rest of the chapter, here's here's what Paul's going to do. It's not that hard to understand. What Paul's going to do is he's going to contrast Adam with Christ, the first Adam from the second Adam. He's going to talk about the first Adam who, he's our father, he's our representative. That's the bad news. But he's also going to talk about Jesus Christ, who's also our representative. And he's going to show the vast difference between the two. And so look at verse 15 now. He says, but the free gift, okay? So so I'm gonna comment as I read through this so you guys really get what Paul is saying here. The free gift, that's the free gift of salvation from Jesus Christ, is not like the offense. That's the offense of Adam. Okay, so if you're looking at verse 15, just say amen so I know you're there. Okay, follow along, please. For if by one man's offense many died, okay, billions, much more, the, please underline the word grace, the grace of God and the gift by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many, literally billions of people. Verse 16. And the gift, that's the free gift of salvation through Jesus, is not like that which came through the one who sinned. It's nothing like You know, the the judgment, the condemnation that's passed on from Adam. He says, for the judgment which came from one offense, Adam eating the forbidden fruit, resulted in, what's the word? Condemnation. Condemnation. That's what you and I get without Christ. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in what? justification okay so the good news is when we identify ourselves with Christ we turn to him in faith we're justified it's just as if we've never sinned even though we committed many offenses many sins in our lives if we identify ourselves with Christ through faith we can be justified declared righteous by God verse 17 For if by one man's offense, death reigned through the one, through Adam. Much more those who, and you got to underline the word receive. I'll come back to that. Much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign. Will reign. Not maybe. Not hope so. Not I'm not really sure. No. If you've received this abundant grace, if you've received this gift of righteousness, then you will reign in life through the one, and what's his name at the end of verse 17? Jesus Christ. Next point. I'll sum it all up like this. Adam brought condemnation and death, but thank God Christ brought abundant grace and life. This is such good news. And as I've said a thousand times before, church family, it's not that good news for those of you who who don't understand the bad news. When you don't understand the bad news and you think, well, yeah, of course Jesus saved me. I'm worth it. <laughs> Look at my life. I'm such a good person. If you don't understand the bad news, then this good, this, this good news is not that great. Who cares? You know, what time is the game on today? But when you understand as Amazing Grace, the song says that you're a wretch and that you and I are sinners and that we deserve condemnation, death, and hell, and that we don't have any hope. And then all of a sudden, God brought hope through Jesus Christ, who's our rescuer and our savior. And now, instead of getting condemnation, we get justification. Then all of a sudden, it's like, Yay, Jesus, this is such good news! Woo! Right? Well, I'm glad I'm going, woo. woo! All right. Do you see the difference between Adam and Christ here? All right? Okay, think about this Adam's from the ground. Jesus Christ is from heaven, right? Adam is just a man. Jesus Christ was and is the eternal son of God who became a man. Adam's act of eating the forbidden fruit was an act of selfishness. Christ's action of going to the cross was an action of selflessness. Let me explain this further. Satan said to Adam and Eve, He said, if you eat this fruit, you're not going to die. Now, listen here. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. You hear that? Eat the fruit. Temptation, temptation, temptation. If you do it, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Adam, you can be like God. And so Eve was deceived. She ate. Adam deliberately disobeyed. He ate. Okay, when he ate the forbidden fruit, you got to understand this. It was an act of selfishness on Adam's part. It was an act of self-centeredness. It was an act of self-aggrandizement. It was an act of self-glorification, right? He wanted to be like God. I'm going to eat this forbidden fruit, and I'm going to be like the Most High, by the way, Bible students, does that sound remotely familiar to anybody? Isaiah 14, when Isaiah is talking about what happened to Lucifer, the perfect angel, before he fell, Lucifer says, five I wills. I will, I will, I will, I will. What was the last I will? Lucifer, the perfect angel, said, I will be like the most high. Boom. Wow. Right? What is Adam doing? Adam's following in the footsteps of Lucifer. It's all about self-glorification. But Jesus, just the opposite. He came to the earth not for self-glorification. He came for self-sacrifice. That's why Paul said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, morphe, essential nature of God. In other words, he was God. Did not consider it robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation. I like that. Stop trying to put yourself forward. Stop trying to draw attention to yourself. Put Christ forward. Point to him. Draw attention to him. He said he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. God became man. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You say, why did Jesus choose to die on a cross? Why did God become a man and die such a horrific death? Here's why. He chose to receive what we deserve. That's judgment. So that he could give us what we don't deserve And that's grace. You see that? You see that? Such good news. I mean, this is the Jesus we love. This is why we love him. This is why we follow him. Not because we're programmed to do so. No, you know what? Voluntarily, I'm signing up with Jesus because that's the person I want to follow for the rest of my life. Not the one about self-glorification like Adam The one about self-sacrifice. Look at verse 18. Now in Romans chapter 5. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even through one man's righteous act, that's the cross, the free gift came to all men, resulting in, what's the next three words? Verse 19, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. All right, so here's my question as we start winding this thing down, okay? Do you want to be made righteous? Somebody says this. Well, yeah, Pastor Mike, that's why I'm trying so hard. That's why I'm, I'm trying so hard with this church thing now. You know, I'm going to church. I'm trying to be nice to people. This is like totally not me, but it's hard, and I'm trying to do it. You know, I'm trying to live by the golden world. I'm trying to, you know, do unto others as I would have people do to me. I'm trying that. I'm trying to be as good as I can so that maybe God will let me in someday. You've misunderstood self-righteousness and Christ-righteousness. This is one of those big, big doctrines that I keep talking about because Paul keeps talking about it, but I really want everybody at Calvary Port St. Lucie to get this. If you and I decide to walk into the throne room and stand before God in our rags of self-righteousness, listen, we're going to hear one word, guilty. You say, why? Because in Adam you sinned and I sinned. Because we received a sin nature from Adam. And because we ratified that every single time we chose to sin, the thousands and thousands of times we chose to sin in our lives. And so if we try to walk into God's presence in our rags of self-righteousness, we're going to hear guilty. But if we turn to Christ in faith and receive the free gift that he offers, his abundant grace, here's what he does. He clothes us in his righteousness. And then we walk inside the throne room of God, and God doesn't say guilty. God says, pardoned, come over here, let me give you a hug. That's the gospel. Jesus is our only hope. And so, last two verses, 20 and 21. Moreover, the law entered, right, the law of Moses, 1500 B.C., that the offense might Abound. In other words, you guys remember this? The law was not given to save us, but to show us. The law, let me just, can I have your attention just for a second? Just so you understand. The law of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all those rules and regulations, they were not given, you know, keep those and you'll be saved. The law cannot save us. It just shows us our sin, the fact that we blew it. Right, just like a thermometer can't take away your fever, it just shows you you got a fever. Okay, so be done with this works righteousness once and for all. Works, you don't do works to earn heaven, but when you receive the free gift of salvation, works will happen in your life as an evidence. C.S. Lewis talks about that in his book, Mere Christianity. And so once again, in verse 20, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, I love this, grace abounded much more. In the original language, it's literally super abounded. (laughs) I love it. Where sin abounded, grace super abounded, verse 21, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Last point, where our sin abounded, God's grace super abounded. And so the law shows us that we're sinners, right? We read the Ten Commandments. It's not, woo, I'm so righteous. It's, oh, I've so blown it, okay? So how does God treat sinful people like you and I? Stay with me here all, all the way to the end, Okay. How does God treat sinful people like you and I? Does he just leave us alone to be condemned? No, 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 no. Listen, I'm gonna quote the most famous verse in the Bible, but then the verse that we never hear, I'm gonna quote afterwards. John 3, 16 and 17. Listen. For God so loved the world, he gave, he intervened, right? He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life And then verse 17 says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, right? But that the world might be saved through him. So we read the law, we see, we've blown it. I'm a sinner. The wages of sin is death. Okay, God doesn't say, well, forget you. God says, I love you. He sends his son. And so his son comes not to condemn you. If you're feeling condemnation right now, listen, that's a trip from the devil. You need to go tell him to take a hike. He didn't come to condemn you. He came to save you. Let me put it this way. I love this. God says, if you're with me, can you say amen here? Okay, listen. God says, I know you're a great sinner. But do you know what I do for great sinners? I give them greater grace. I give them super abundant grace. It's all about grace. (laughs) This church needs to be all about grace. Not law, not legalism, not judging each other, not gossiping, not criticizing one another, not talking about each other behind our backs. We need to have grace, right? The same, listen... The same grace that he has shown you and I, we need to show everybody else. So I conclude with this. I got good news and bad news. Here's your bad news. The bad news is your sin is worse than you could ever imagine. Welcome to Calvary. So glad you came. (laughs) The good news is God's grace is so much better than you could ever imagine. But you got to receive it. You got to receive it. And so in verse 17, look at it real quick. I had you underline it, right? For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who, what's the word? Receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through Jesus Christ. You've got to receive it. Here's a mistake some people make. They say, Yeah, I believe that Jesus guy lived. I talked to a person just recently. Yeah, he was a good man. He was a good prophet. That's what a lot of the world thinks. So here's what they think. Some people think, I believe in him. I believe he existed. I believe he died on the cross. They've misunderstood the word believe. Faith. Pistis in the Greek. You remember what it means. It means... That I'm trusting in Christ and Christ alone, putting everything I am in this life and the next, everything in Jesus Christ. I am, John 1, 12, receiving him. Okay, so don't be fooled to say, I believe that he existed and think you're going to heaven. No, you've got to receive Jesus and what he did on the cross for you personally. It's a personal decision. Some of you may not have made that personal decision yet. One of the greatest gifts God can give His children is the assurance of their salvation. If you're not sure where you stand with God, we want to help. Visit our website at www.calvarypsl.com and click on knowing Christ.